Hey guys, it's Daniel Smooth from Time to BS. Now, don't lie. I know you want some great deals on those events you go to, like your Jonas Brothers concerts or Met Games or stuff like that. Wait, did I say Jonas Brothers concert? Anyway, so that's why BellyUp, we have partnered up with SeatGeek. Use the promo code BellyUpSports at all caps at SeatGeek.com to get $20 off your first purchase. Now, that is a sweet deal. Don't forget, promo code BellyUpSports at all caps at SeatGeek.com. It's time to BS. Light up the cigar right out of the game, my man. (laughs) What's happening, man? What's up, Jackson? For those of you joining in to the live stream, thank you for tuning in to BS Sessions Volume 35. My name is the great and powerful Staniel Smooth, and joining me today, big fan of this man's work, the host all the way from Seattle, Washington, and the host of the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. And light up a good cigar, my man. What are you smoking? Uh, this is actually my cigar. <laughs> <laughs> good deal. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we hooked up with uh, one of really really great cigar manufacturer um supplies some of the biggest labels in the world and uh we did our own release so that's what i'm smoking (laughs) good man welcome aboard jackson bevins the host of the cigar thoughts podcast talking all kinds of seahawks smoking cigars i am sans cigar but i do have some bourbon on me so hey all right cheers brother i'm right that's the plus cheers brother cheers what are you drinking uh, I got the uh, Westland Distillery Gariana number seven, not the number eight. Um, their their new release, the Gariana, the number eight, just got named the number three whiskey in the world. Nice, dude. Uh, yeah, I can't get my hands on it. I've got a freaking partnership with these dudes, and I can't get my hands on it. will <laughs> so be I'm like drink- that sometimes, bro. Yeah, I'm, dry- I'm drinking the number seven, but it's good. How about yourself? Um, I'm not sure. I'm not going to lie. So, well, story time. My girlfriend decided to infuse whiskey with some kind of whiskey chips or. Yeah. So so it's like it's like an Amberana. Yeah. So I decided to infuse it with some uh, screwball and it's it's really good. So you got like a kind of like a cedary peanut butter vibe going on. And some like coconut chips. I think she put in there some kind of citrus chips in there. Cool. She's she's nuts in there. But dude, uh, welcome aboard. Thank I you. appreciate you doing this, my man. This is a big, as I said before, big fan of your work, big fan of uh, the show that you like to do. And uh, <laughs> and I've, I don't know if you could tell, I am decked out in my Seahawk gear and on the other arm. Hey, there no, that's a nice hat right there. That's some good. Thanks, bro. thanks, brother. Appreciate that. Right? Is that a Jimmy Graham jersey? This is unfortunately a Jimmy Graham jersey. Ah, yes. no way, man! I love Jimmy. <laughs> I love I love him too. But like, Seahawk fans are obviously very torn on that trade. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I, and I get it. I get it. I loved it when they first made it, but after a while, it's like, eh, did they really need to do, to do that? Well, it's interesting because I don't hate the trade on the surface i think in hindsight it was like jimmy graham for max unger in a second something like that something like that it was or, jimmy it was max unger a first round pick and a fourth and a fourth that's right and then maybe yeah. seattle got one some some kind of day two pick back or day three pick back but either way I, so. I was okay with it because they had just lost the super bowl the year before and won it the year prior yeah <laughs> and you know the way they lost that game it's like well shit if they had a jimmy graham to throw to that might be different so i understand the process behind it the thing for me that was frustrating is you brought in a tight end who the postseason prior literally sued the nfl to be seen as a wide receiver. And then you tried to put his hand in the dirt. Right. I remember that offensive lineman. Like if you're going to trade all that for Jimmy Graham and like Max Unger is the last good center this team had, if you're going to trade all that for Jimmy Graham, like 
you got to use them for what he's best at. I think it's the same issue that they had with the Percy Harvin trade. I think the same issue they had with the Jamal Adams trade is just not having a clear plan for how to integrate. I don't really mind trading high draft capital for good players. Like that's fine, but man, you got to have a really clear plan of action for those guys. And, and Seattle just didn't really do that with any of those trades. They tend to do that sometimes, but let's talk about your show. How did cigar thoughts start? Because you are a very popular Seahawks podcast. How did this whole journey of yours start? Like take me forward from day one going forward. Sure, man. sure. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate you asking. It's very kind of you. Um, you know, I've always enjoyed writing and um and obviously been big sports fan and and Seahawks team that I follow closely. You know, I live up in Bellingham, Washington, about an hour and a half north of Seattle. And um been a Seahawks fan my whole life. And so I started writing about them for fun. Oh gosh, probably 2008, 2009, something like that. And eventually that turned into an opportunity to write for a website called field goals, which was always my go-to um, as just kind of this, in my opinion, kind of the, the sharpest football analysis relating to the Seahawks that I could find. And um, the editor at the time, Danny Kelly came across my work and asked if I'd be interested in, in writing for the site. So I did, did a bunch of different types of articles until uh, one day I just decided to write a, a post-game recap um, right after the game was over. And I did that and, and people liked it. And so I kept doing that. And this would have been like 2011. And um, so I started doing it after every game. And then as more and more people started to, to read it and respond to it and seemed to like it, I, I realized I needed something to make it searchable that, you know, if people were looking for my specific post-game article, they'd be able to find it. So I thought, what is unique about this process for me? And what it is, is the first thing I would do after a Seahawks game is I'd light up a cigar and I'd think about it. And while I smoke the cigar, slow my breathing down after the game and then get my thoughts in order and then I'd write. So they were my Seahawks cigar thoughts. That was, that was the name of it, it Seahawks cigar thoughts. And, um, and so that really worked. People all of a sudden had something they could search for or bookmark after each game. And then um, a couple of years ago, uh, I reached out to Mike Barwin, really, really gifted producer who um, has done some really cool work, both in and out of sports with like some documentary type stuff. And he's, he's produced a couple other podcasts and said, Hey, I, I'm thinking about making this a show. And he didn't hesitate. He jumped right in. So for, for two yeah. years, doing a weekly show and, and honestly, you know, most of the positive feedback we get uh, has to do with the guests that we have on. And then the second most, common positive feedback we get is how good the, the show sounds and that's just that's just because mike mike kills it you know i'm i'm he like kills it. he does yeah i'm like third or fourth on the list for reasons why people <laughs> show. and when they're watching they're looking at the glorious beard that you happen mm. to have like what do you yeah you got it? a good one too man you hey, got a good thanks, one too man. you got the beard yeah. <laughs> what are you putting there bro it looks good thank you vitamin e oil no shit. Yeah, just a tiny little bit. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I work that in every night and comb it a bunch. Mm. I comb it a bunch every night. And oh, yeah, comb yeah, it a bunch to. in, in the morning. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just like, you just get like enough to cover like the inside of your palm, rub your hands together, rub it through the beard. Oh. And uh, and that keeps it from getting all crazy. Because I use, I use like regular beer bomb. I use beard oil from time to time and then mm -hmm. someone brought me up to beef tallow as you an know, idea i have heard of that i've never i've never played around with it just because it's not bad oil has worked. no i know a guy who uses beef tallow and then he uh blow dries it and then puts it back on and, oh, and he's got a really big beautiful beard so like the fucking man. beard or some yeah shit. yeah totally, totally. <laughs> but dude as um as of recording this it is tuesday january 9th Two days ago, the Seahawks season just ended. I'm, I don't mm -hmm. know about you. I've been frustrated to high hell and back with this team for the better part of seven or eight years. Sure. Dear, deep down, coaching staff is frustrating me. I want to hear your thoughts on the 2023 Seattle Seahawks season as a whole. Yeah, I I don't think you're unjustified in, in being frustrated. You know, I also have been frustrated with this team since about 2016. You know... My whole thing, and and if there's anyone listening to this that has listened to my show, read my stuff, I'm I'm big on zooming out. I think that as a sports fan, it's really easy to get pulled 
into the granular stuff, what just happened and, and whatever is frustrating us at the point or whatever we're thrilled about at the point uh, usually feels like a bigger deal than it really is. And, and when you zoom out, you know, I, I was pretty forgiving of the team 2015, 2016 with their struggles because they were coming off of uh, two straight Super Bowls. And at some yeah. point, it's just like, okay, how spoiled am I going to be? I've waited my whole life for them to win a Super Bowl. And now two, three years later, I'm going to be all pissed off. No. Yeah. Then, then 2018, they had that loss to the Cowboys in the first round where they didn't really start. It was coming off of Russell Wilson's best statistical year. They didn't they didn't really start passing the ball till the fourth quarter. And they, you know, it's not like running was working. They were just stubborn, cost them a winnable game. And then they just have kind of been driving in the mud ever since. So I, I share your frustration. I was really frustrated with them like 2017 through 2021 as the relationship between Pete Carroll and um, Pete Carroll and John Schneider started to, to fray and disintegrate. And um, Ross too. Don't forget him too. Yeah, I'm sorry. Did I not say I meant you to said, say Russell you, Wilson? You said John Schneider, but uh, you meant to say Russ. I can only assume that. I, I did. Yes. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> You're good, bro. Yeah, the, the relationship between Russell Wilson and um, Pete Carroll and John Schneider is that started to disintegrate. Um, and, you know, I had some some folks who are connected with the team who are kind of keeping me um, abreast of that situation. I was just developing kind of before that stuff went public. So I, I, I kind of saw it coming. and. Um, and then I thought they had it worked out. I, I really did. I thought I thought they were going to make it happen. I, I thought that ultimately the team should choose Russell Wilson over Pete Carroll if they had to make that choice. Uh, they went the other direction, and I'm glad I did. I've I've been pretty open about being wrong about that. So I, I say all of this not not just to ramble, but because you know, Staniel, I as I think about these last couple of years, sure. It's frustrating. Nine and eight just feels like you're stuck in the middle. They haven't won a playoff game. And like, well, since DK Metcalf's uh, rookie year, it's been one playoff win in, in six years, but there was a pretty full reset that was done before the 2022 season when they traded Russell Wilson at the time, cut Bobby Wagner. And, um, you know, most of the country was picking them to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Terrible. And and taken through that lens, I think it's actually pretty impressive that they've gone 18 and 16 since then. Um, I think that if our expectations of the team weren't so high for the three or four years previous and feeling like they were underperforming, um, I think it would be a little bit easier to swallow these back-to-back nine and eight seasons. But, uh, you know, I said this in in my last article after that game on Sunday if I transport myself back to the day of the Russell Wilson trade and you got drew lock coming back and he's going to compete with Geno Smith for the quarterback <laughs> range. And they cut you Bobby have Wagner. no idea. Sorry. To, you have no yeah. idea how many jokes I have received over the course of the last two years saying like you wanted drew lock. I'm- yeah. Totally. Right. And it's like, okay, yeah. if you, if you told me, you told me, here's how the next two years are going to go. They're going to go nine and eight both seasons. And they're going to make the playoffs one of those years. I would have been like, hell yeah. Sign me up. Are you kidding me? I was expecting this to be two, three, four years before they got. To yeah. that level. So, so it's tough. I think, I think that what really happened is they were so much better than most people, myself included, thought they'd be last year made the playoffs. And then they came out and started five and two. And they suckered me into thinking they were closer to being ready to really compete, like really compete, make yeah. it to an NFC championship game, maybe make it to a Super Bowl than they actually were. And so now it feels like a real letdown. But I think if you zoom out and look at the last two years taken as a whole and where this roster was after that trade, it's actually pretty remarkable. You mentioned your frustrations. Mm-hmm. One of the frustrations that I think a lot of Seahawks fans would agree on is the defense. Oh, my God. The defense went from one of the best in NFL history. You can argue top three or five in the history of the entire league in a good four in a good four or five year stretch to now all of a sudden you're looking at in a three or four year stretch, one of the worst in NFL history. Yeah, they've been I, bad. I've been one to say been overly critical of Pete mm-hmm. in the way he handles his scheme and the way he runs the offense and the way he runs the whole defense. I'll ramble on Pete after you, but what are your thoughts on Pete Carroll as a whole? Because he's he's going to go in the Hall of Fame. He's the best coach of the franchise ever had. Yep. But 
over the last couple of years, it seems like that the game is to use this cliche lightly passed him by. What yeah. are your thoughts, my man? Um, I think that sustained success at the NFL uh, requires a lot of innovation and it's tough because you have to balance that with not just changing for the sake of change. You have to stick to your principles and with Pete Carroll, I'll take him over maybe every single coach in the NFL Monday through Saturday, his ability to get the buy-in from a bunch of young, rich alphas uh, is really remarkable. It's, it's not something you, you see the type of videos from the Seahawks all the time that you only see from other teams after a big win and his ability to approach, or at least get the guys approaching each game, like a championship game, um, it was really impressive. You know, one of the things that he kind of flips on his head is most coaches, when you hear them talk about big games, it's like, oh, we're just going to treat it like any other game, right? Like they're trying to to get their players to come down from being hyped up about a big playoff game or a championship game and say, no, this is just like every other regular season game. Pete Carroll flips that on its head. He treats every single game, preseason, regular season playoffs, like it's a championship game. So that when it is a big game, the guys aren't having to get up for it. They're already up for it. He's not trying to bring them down. He's trying to raise them up all the time. And I think that's a really special thing. He is a league average at best head coach on Sundays. And that's not good enough. And it's certainly nope. not good enough in the NFC West. And nope. he's had a tough time uh, with his coordinators, whether that's just picking the wrong guys or they're not fitting you know, their play calling isn't fitting within his ethos um, or what, but the D you brought up the defense, man. It, at the end of the day, it's tough when you're, when you're Pete Carroll and you've built one of the 10 most impressive coaching resumes in the history of the sport. And you did that on the back of being a defensive genius and, and make no mistake. He changed the way how, you know, the way defense was played in the NFL. Yeah. He did in college too. If we're being honest, he basically and- invented how the cover three was played. Yeah, yeah, he put his own spin on it. He was the first guy to build a, a defense back to front in terms of, yeah. um, you know, how where he really emphasized uh, his best players. And and it took the league four or five years to figure that out. But then they figured it out, and they, they've they never adapted. And nope. they've tried. They've, they've moved to single high. They've moved to a little bit. Uh, looks, they tried a 3-4 the last couple of years, sort of. And nah. none of it, none of it stuck. So no. yeah, that part of it's, it's frustrating. You know, Pete Carroll, unfortunately feels like a high floor, low ceiling head coach. And I'm grateful for the high floor because I don't have to worry about rooting for a four and 13 team, but it's frustrating when you know the team can win eight, nine, 10 games. And it's like, okay, but when are they going to start winning more? Yeah. And, this team is way too been able to do it. The, what the about wrong. you? What's, what's your frustration? So I think it was around the Falcon, the second Falcons playoff loss in 2016, or if I want to go even further, the Cowboys playoff loss, where I told a bunch of my friends, like, listen, this team's not going to go anywhere until they make some massive, and I mean massive changes. Um, They did one, Russell Wilson, they did one. I, If I had the opportunity to make that trade 10 times over, I would probably make it eight times out of 10. I'd still make that trade. Yeah. To get the, to get the value back from him. Well, well, you talk about selling at a high. Oh, good God, yeah. I mean, they couldn't have timed it any better. Oh, God, yeah. The second the Rodgers contract came out, I I told a couple friends of mine, Russ is getting traded. Yeah. There's there's no oh, way he's not it, getting traded. You nailed it. Yeah, I'm not proud of it, but hey, what are you going to do? But <laughs> at the same point, I mean, the, the roster from top to bottom defensively, if you look at the list of players that are currently on this team, Leonard Williams, Jaron Reed, Draymond Jones, Yuchenna Nwosu, Wagner, Brooks, Mafe, who's came out of nowhere yeah, he was this season. This Witherspoon, Kobe Bryant, Mike Jack, Quandre, Jamal. Don't get me started on Jamal, but at the same point, this team, sh- this defense should not be ranked where they were the last couple of years. I agree. No shot. I agree. And you can blame it, you can blame it on the coaches, you can blame it on the players, but at the same point, Pete made those hires. This is yep. Pete's scheme. Yes, it is. Absolutely, this is absolutely Pete's scheme. And I, Mike Salk, 
love love the guy, but he's the biggest Pete Carroll defender on the face of the planet. Mm-hmm. And we'll never say that, oh, this is Pete Carroll's fault. But you hear guys like uh but you hear the other guys on the on the Seattle sports station. By the way, I'm on the complete opposite side of the country. I'm in New York. <laughs> hey, all right, all right, man. Yeah, I'm in New York. New York. But um at this I've been very critical of Pete. And I'm a big Dan Quinn advocate. I think <laughs> if I think if the Seahawks job becomes available in the next 10 minutes, it's the hottest job on the market without question. And okay. I would make that I'll make that phone call to Dallas right out of the gate and say, How much for Dan Quinn? Like without it. question. Without question. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't I don't hate that at all. I mean, Dan Quinn, of course, you know, him and Gus Bradley kind of split time as the defensive coordinator during that defensive yeah. run of dominance. And um, you know, Dan, Dan Quinn leveraged that into a head coaching job and damn near won a Super Bowl. I mean, he's a good coach. He is a good coach. He's a very good coach. And he's he's had that Dallas defense humming for the yeah. last few years. And with let's the players that they have on the defense, they have Demarcus Lawrence, obviously Micah Parsons, but they have maybe three or four guys on that defense. No disrespect to the Cowboys defense, but they're the best defense in football. And he's making them play like animals. That's just it, man. It's it's the ferocity they play with. I mean, they they got they got good players in in Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland and, and yeah. a couple other guys for sure. Um, like I, I don't think they have a shortage of uh, of talent, but I do agree with you that they are outplaying that talent because they play mean. They play really really mean football yeah. on the side, and that's cool to see. And that's not something Seattle does. No, no. I I watched the Steelers game. Uh, two weeks ago. That might be the, that was bad, man. That was bad. I the Ravens one pissed me off. I was ready to throw something, but that Steelers one made me so mad. Yeah, you know, I mean, the Ravens one was disappointing because they it, they were they just weren't competitive in it. But I think I think the Ravens are not only the best team in the NFL right now. I think, and this is backed up by DVOA. I think they're one of the ten best teams of the last twenty plus years. This year's Ravens team, they're that good. Mm-hmm. So I could make my peace with that. Obviously, I would like to have seen that be closer. But I was like, okay, look, you ran into the best team in the NFL on their best day is what it yeah. is. Steelers game, that was unforgivable. I that, That's the worst. I mean, and I say this as someone who was ready to walk into the ocean after the Raiders game last year. And that was the Josh that, Jacobs that game. on New Year's Eve. Yeah, that on New Year's Eve, that, that was the worst display of tackling I've ever seen as a Seahawks fan. Really? It's gotta be. It's gotta be. Yeah, I hard to say. I mean Bobby Bobby Wagner hard to argue that. Bobby Wagner looked like the only guy interested in tackling anybody in that game. And it was just like, I mean, even Quandre Diggs, who I love, like I love Quandre, he was like taking weak ass angles and like hitting hitting guys high without like a lot of oomph behind it. And yeah. I was like, oh, Cause he did that a couple times early in the game. Like, okay, maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's like protecting an injury. And then Reek Woolen, I mean, teams are just targeting him right now and he is playing hurt, but they're just going at him there. Yeah. You, you watch this team play and all the perimeter runs, they're not going to the right side. They're going at Reek Woolen on the left side. Yeah. And they've had to put in Mike Jackson, who is much worse at covering than Reek Woolen simply because Mike Jackson will at least take on a block and hit somebody. Yeah. Trey Brown, by the way, that kick and ball, that kick and ball. I love Trey Brown. Talent isn't the issue on the Seahawks defense. They've got the personnel. They've got the personnel. It's it's either the scheme or or the way that they're coaching that scheme because there's no discipline. There's no gap integrity. There's no assignment integrity. Like it's just, it's It's what the hell, man. And it's too bad because there are good players on that defense. Oh, yeah, they are. I mean, I like Daryl Taylor coming out of college. I I had Taylor as a first-round pick in that draft. Mm -hmm. And I had him going to the Seahawks. But then when they traded up to go get him, I was like, all right, this is raw, but good player. Good player at Tennessee. Yeah, Um, I liked him. I liked him coming out. I did. Yeah, I liked him out of college. he's, He's had his moments for sure. He'll give you nine sacks, probably. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough because he reminds me, Daryl Taylor 
reminds me is the defensive end version of D'Angelo Hall. And D'Angelo Hall mm. would always get you six to ten interceptions a year and always be near the top. But he did it because he was a gambler. D'Angelo Hall was not an assignment correct corner. He was gambling. It's like Russell Westbrook leading the, the NBA in steals. Guy's not a good on-ball defender, but he'll gamble. And when he's right, yeah. he'll get the steal and he'll get the fast break dunk. D'Angelo Hall will gamble. And when he's right, he'll get the pick. But when he's wrong, he's giving up big plays. And Daryl Taylor can guess, and he's got the athleticism. When he guesses right, he can beat a guy. But he gets beat so often. And and it's tough to keep him. That's, that's why his yeah. down stays low. What massive changes would you do if you were in this? If you were in John Schneider's position, hell, even Chuck Arnold, the, pre, the team president, mm-hmm. what massive changes would you do, top to bottom? What would you do? Ooh, great question. Um, I don't think this team needs an overhaul, uh, but Clint Hurt is is in my office at eight a.m. tomorrow morning to the moon. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I'm wishing him luck and he'll, you know, I'll, I'll speak kindly about him to any team that, that calls an ass, but he can't be, he can't be running the defense anymore. Um, I'm a little torn on Waldron. There's some, there's some parts of what this Seahawks offense has done schematically. That's really, really good. Like their EPA, their EPA on first and second down this year is number four in the NFL. They're behind Baltimore, San Francisco, and Miami, which is nuts. They have been an elite team on first and second down this year. Which um, is nuts. They've actually been elite on third downs in the first quarter. And I think Shane Waldron is an excellent play scripter. Seattle's offense, for the most part, over the last two years, has been really good out of the gates. And then teams counterpunch, and they don't have a counterpunch for that. Uh, it got better these last few weeks, and that has to do with Abe Lucas coming back. Um, so I'm torn. I, I won't hate it if Shane Waldron's back. I'm not looking to get rid of him. But if if there was someone out of that Shanahan coaching tree or out of that, you know, I mean, Waldron is a McVay guy. Um, but I think, you know, if there was someone real hot that wanted to come and be the offensive coordinator, yeah, yeah, I'd be, I'd be for it. I'm mostly okay with how they've been on the offensive line. You know, their struggles have yeah. coincided with Charles Cross and Abe Lucas missing games. That's it. When those guys are healthy, the offense has been pretty good. And I love the two rookies that they got on there. Olubatimi, who was, I believe, the Remington Award winner out of Michigan. Yeah, I like I like Olubatimi. Um, yeah, I think Evan Brown is what he is, um, yeah. which is a slightly below average center, and that's okay. Really, and it's Anthony, been guard, it's been guard play. Anthony, Anthony Bradford, Bradford's a mammoth of a man. Great run blocker. Yeah, he's had some moments. the The first half of the game against the Browns, Anthony Bradford was looking like Steve Hutchison. He was going head to head with the best defensive front in the NFL. And he was whipping their asses. Mm-hmm. So he can do it. He's tough in pass coverage is. Yeah. He, he just so far doesn't have the feet to handle the stunts of NFL caliber athletes. I hope that changes. Um, the challenge with really tall offensive linemen is can they get low enough? Uh, because you look at the best pass rushers in the NFL yeah, they're amazing athletes. What they really do is get low. And like you watch Nick Bosa or Max Crosby or Miles Garrett mm-hmm. play. Yeah, these are big giant men. But you watch them come off the edge. Micah Parsons is incredible. They look like a Ducati. Man. They're going down. Like that that lean is so low. And so yeah. if you're 6'5", can you get down and meet them there? And, and Bradford's really struggled with that. Yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on Pete? If you – would you – would you consider bringing him back or would you, let's say, force him into retirement, keep him as as VP of football ops? Because he and John work as a tandem, great. But as a head coach, I would keep him as VP of football ops and bring in our Dan Quinn or or Mike yeah. McDonald or Mike McDonald from the Ravens. Yeah, so that's, that's super interesting. Uh, I actually, I kind of want to... Um... Get some more of your thoughts on that because my first impression is that's the one thing you can't do because I don't think you can have Pete Carroll in charge of football operations and not uh, not have him be the head coach. I think I think that's like asking Bill Belichick to step uh-huh. away from being the head coach and be like you're going to have Pete Carroll over your goddamn shoulder all the time. Yeah, right? good point. 
the the challenge the challenge with that is i think i think on paper that's a great idea and i and i'm not saying that i'm right and that's that's a, a bad idea is why i want to hear more of your thoughts on it but i thought about that too <laughs> and the challenge with replacing pete carroll is it's not like replacing most head coaches very few head coaches i mean we're talking belichick we're talking tomlin and we're talking reed probably maybe, andy reed maybe andy reed in terms of the way that their dna runs through the franchise top to bottom pete carroll isn't just the head coach he's the ceo of a five billion dollar company he is the vice president of football operations he has his hand in every single thing that mm -hmm. happens in that building and around that building and it's incredible it's honestly incredible what he's done so when the time comes to move on from pete you have to be honest with what exactly you're replacing you're yeah. not just replacing the guy who's deciding whether or not to go for it on fourth down on Sundays from the two yard line <laughs> from your own two yard line. Yeah. The thing is just, you know, it's, it, you, you're, you're replacing the entire backbone of your franchise. Yeah. Um, and, and Pete Carroll is someone that you don't, if you're ownership, you don't have to worry about him hurting your brand. You don't really have to worry about him being a punchline the way that other head coaches are. You don't have to worry about his ability to develop talent. You don't have to worry about him saying or doing the wrong thing. You're not going to have a Josh McDaniels right. moment with Pete Carroll. And that, right. to a billionaire, has so much value. So much value. I hear you with that. <sighs> but there but. seems to be a ceiling on his in-game coaching and that part Thank is frustrating. you. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Here's what I say what the reality is. I think that the reality is Pete's going to be the head coach for as long as Pete Carroll wants to be the head coach. Which could be for another 5 years. <laughs> it really could be. For the love of God, this it's man looks really like he's be, for God's sakes, he moves like he's in his 40s. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy, man. Yeah. And I'll tell you he's already proved me wrong once. I thought he was I thought I thought he was dead as an effective NFL coach after 2018. I wanted him out of here. Mm. And all they've done is continue to win more than they've lost ever since. And that's, there's something to it. So uh, yeah, he's, he is the toughest one of all. It's of this. so frustrating because, you know, I lived through the Holmgren era. I lived through the one single year. We had frustrating year of Jim Mora. And but, kudos to Paul Allen for moving on after one year when he had. The oh, God bless. God go bless Paul Allen. May, God bless you, Paul. May he rest in peace. Mm. But at the same point, it's like you, the look at guys like we mentioned Andy Reid. He's con he's consistently adjusted to he's new defense. Man. He really he's is. He's the love best. the guy. I think he's the best head coach in the NFL. I would have. A, I would love to have a drink or a good cheeseburger at that man. Yeah, right? He seems like a delightful individual to just hang he out really with. Does. Yeah, he, really he really does. does. He really yeah. does. I, I love him. There's, you know, we had, uh, we've had Greg Rosenthal from the NFL network on the show a couple of times. And the first time he was on, we went head coach by head coach. We listed every other one of the 31 head coaches and said, who would you rather, how many of these guys would you rather have? Then Pete Carroll, and we just went one by one. And he ended up having Pete Carroll at the time. Now, this is when things were shitty in 2021. And, yeah. and you know, everything was kind of falling apart. And um, he had Pete Carroll as like 16th or 17th. We had him back on this year and did the same thing. And he had him 7th. So it's like, <laughs> and this is the guy whose job it is to cover all of these teams. And and Greg is so sharp and, and really knows. Maybe he was eighth, but either way, he was like, yeah, I was just yeah. way too low on him. So that's the tough thing is like, yes, there are other coaches who are better. Give me Harbaugh. Yeah. Give me Tomlin. Give me LaFleur. Give me McVay. Give me Shanahan. Give me Reed. Those guys, absolutely. But then after that, you are taking a massive risk. A yeah. massive risk. I hear all you with of a that. sudden. Your team is just cratering. I hear you with that. And at the same point, I mean, but it goes back to the talent. Mm -hmm. Top to bottom, this roster is way too talented to be where they are. Way too talented. And I mentioned this on my show a few times. San Francisco, just 
has had a worse record than you since 2015, mm-hmm. and they are miles ahead of you. Shanahan's the best X's and O's guys on the planet. Oh, of course. Got it from his father. But got who got it from Bill Walsh? Right. The Rams went to two Super Bowls, won a championship, and are better than you. Mm-hmm. This was supposed to be a down year for the Rams. McVay, man. I know. I love the guy. He's a god. He's love a god. McVay. Love McVay yeah. and his and his hot ass wife. Well, and Stafford. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the yeah, most true. criminally underrated player in the NFL every year is Matt Stafford. Oh, love the guy. Matt Matt Stafford is like a next level quarterback savant. Do you remember and, Warren yeah. Moon? Do you remember the yeah. old days? Oh, you remember there was a football life had a documentary where he would chew on his nails to get the perfect sound of a football, and it sounded like just like that every time it pierced it would pierce the wind. It was like, how do you do that? Yeah, well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, you've got this this remarkable arm talent. In, in a guy like like Stafford, and you're you're like make no mistake, I'm I'm sure we'll talk Gino here at some point. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. Technical difficulties from Jackson. Sorry, you got me. Yeah, you got you. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, um, you good, bro. The but it's like you can do so much when when you have a Matthew Stafford, and I I like yeah. Gino. I think, I th- I'm I'm much higher on him than, than yeah. most people are, but he's no he's no Matt Stafford, and we no. saw we saw the Rams really struggle when they didn't have Matt Stafford last year when he was working yeah. through his elbow and his back, and it was like yeah. oh they won they won five games. So even though McVay is like incredible, he was at a loss because he was trying to win with backups, and that's really really hard to do. So yeah, yeah. it's tough, man. It's it's like the one that pisses me off though is the Cardinals. The, the Cardinals are going to get a lot better. Yeah, they are, man. They're going to get the a Cardinals lot better. Are coming. The, the Cardinals, Cardinals are, are coming. That's why, that's why I'm so pissy about the whole stubbornness to change the scheme, which, let's be honest, Pete won't. He will not. He will ins, He will insist that his scheme works. It's Pete Carroll, I, I like to bring this up. Pete Carroll is the my way or the highway, which is just not a bad thing. Sometimes it could be good. Yep. Sometimes you could have a 12-win team, 13-win team, 10, 11-win team. And then occasionally you get teams like last year, which mediocre at best offense. Occasionally, but look, that's smart. You just <laughs> blew your cigar smoke into your drink. I never thought to do that. Oh, yeah. You'd smoke your whiskey. I have never thought to do that. Wow. Nice. Nice, you should try it. <laughs> you know what? I'm, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea. This is a rare opportunity. I BS sessions is like raw talk, have a good time. Yeah, yeah. Like I almost never do sports talk on on BS sessions, but at the same point, pleasure to have you on, man. <laughs> I'll continue to say it. No, man, I, I appreciate it. You know, after you reached out, I started uh, listening to your show. A bit, and, uh, and I really like what you got going. But it's thanks, it's, man. It's, oh yeah, for sure, man. No, I'm, absolutely. I I really admire what you got going, and and really happy to be here. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I appreciate I'm that, man. Cool to hear you talking. Sports. Yeah, man. I have a, I have a cigar for you. Uh, Drew Estate Tabac uh-huh. Dark. I have not had that one. I do like Drew Estate a lot. I've got uh, Tabac Dark is good. Okay, Tabac Dark okay. is good. It's a really right, good I'm dark cigar. Yeah. I'm sure you could find it. It's everywhere. All right, man. I will. Uh, who is Jackson Bevins? Let's let's do, let's talk a deep dive into who you are outside the podcast, outside the writer, outside the Seahawks fan. Who is who are you? Who is Jackson Bevins? <laughs> uh, <laughs> to start, I'm the luckiest husband in the world. Um, shout out, Paulina. Uh, I, I got lucky and I, I married the best person on the planet. And so basically, (laughs) basically my, my goal is, is to try and justify that every day. Um, she's, she's amazing. So that's, that's the main thing there. Uh, um, but yeah, you know, I, for work, I'm a, I'm a realtor uh, here in Bellingham and, and the surrounding area. 
And I really enjoy that. It's like um, constantly solving puzzles, right? Like high leverage puzzles, people, yeah. making, you know, the one of the biggest financial, emotional decisions they're going to make in the next five to 10 years. And, and I always take that really seriously if, if someone trusts me to help them with that, with that process. So that takes up most of my time um, to do it at the level that I hold myself, you know, the standard I hold myself to professionally just requires us a lot of time, a lot of effort, but I enjoy it. Um, and then other than that, man, uh, you know, I, here's, here's my life philosophy. I try and view everything that I do through the lens of 100 year old Jackson. He's laying on his deathbed and he could go any minute and he's looking back and says, all right, what, what does hundred year old Jackson want me to do right now? And it's the most clarifying lens to see every decision through. It's like, if I'm not sure what to do professionally, personally, whatever. Uh, I just think about Jackson in 60 years looking back and it's like, what does he want me to do? And I instantly know what the right move is. So um, that's kind of my thing. I'm just trying to do hundred year old Jackson proud. That's a good way of viewing life as a whole. I think so. I, I've always tried to view life as like, like enjoy life, like a good cigar and a glass of whiskey. Take your time mm-hmm. and enjoy that shit. Yes. Take yes. your time and enjoy that shit. Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more, Daniel. Well, because I will. Well, to to sum up, I I see a lot of people, you know, they used they used to see, they used to be with, you know, used to work with, blah 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 blah. That would always be like, oh, my life sucks. But at the same right. point, it, it's like, why are you stressing out about life if if you're in your early twenties? <laughs> yeah what the hell because <laughs> we didn't know any better <laughs> no, no like no because like that, i hear you yeah because that's my argument with a lot of sh- with like social media as a whole i've always tried to stay as like what stay towards the goal of what's good for my head mm-hmm. what is good for my head what is good for my head for the long run not just for the short term for the long run and I go to the gym like crazy. I work out like a madman sometimes. Like I, mm-hmm. I do back. Tr- Someone told me I look like a young, like a small Brock Lesnar. I don't know. <laughs> take, I don't know. How to take that as a compliment or not. <laughs> I would. I would take I would. this compliment too. I was. <laughs> I got a decent build, but like, damn, I'm not that large. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I am five ten and two sixty for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have any like doubts going into starting the podcast starting cigar thoughts going into field goals like what was your the yeah, little the, the little doubt monster in the back of your head going like don't fucking do this bitch <laughs> yeah uh yeah yeah for sure um i've definitely had lots of doubts along the way um at the end of the day for me it's like okay what's what's the worst that happens all right i take a shot on this podcast and it sucks and people think yeah. it, think it's dumb yeah i stop i stopped doing it year from now no one no one remembers um but i've also believed that what you focus on increases and so i don't spend a lot of time thinking about the worst case scenario i don't spend a lot of time thinking about what happens if it goes wrong and when i do it's always okay what's what's the plan if it happens um you know, the, the complaints that I have aren't real complaints. You know, people, people would kill to be stressed out about the things that I stress out about. You know, they're not, they're not real problems. We, there's people in this world with real problems. Yeah. And you know, the way I always think about it is, okay, what if someone who's just having the worst go of it, who drew the, the wrong cards, uh, who's in a really bad situation, and they got to switch places and and have my life. Are they going to spend their time being sad? Are they going to spend their time doubting? Are they going to spend their time being pissed off? Fuck no, man. Fuck They'd be no. thrilled. They'd be thrilled to have my life. And I don't say that to be like, oh, hey, look at how great my life is. I just know my life is great. I got so lucky. I got so lucky. I'm healthy. My family is healthy. They live close by. I married an amazing woman. I work a job that I love. I live in an incredible part of the world. Like, some of that I had something to do with it, but a lot of it I didn't. And so there you go. I'm just, I got dealt great cards, man. I'm going to play them. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to play there them aggressively. You go. There you go. I feel like you'd be, I feel like you would have great tattoo sleeves. 
of just your whole <laughs> just your whole story dedicated to all your tattoos right there. You know, I got a buddy, Kale uh, Puahau, and um, you know he's he's a Polynesian guy, and um, you know he's got he's got the you know those really beautiful Polynesian tattoos oh, yeah. pretty much over over his whole body. And and I was asking him about it, and he goes, you know, it's really interesting tattoo culture in Polynesia is you go to the tattoo artists and your first couple of visits, there's no tattooing. You tell your life story. And while you tell the life story, they they draw, they draw it. They draw it in in Polynesian art. And once they, once they feel like they kind of understand what your story is, they have a design and they put it on your body and it's really, really cool. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, I was like, Oh damn, that's right. I'd be a total poser if I went to a Polynesian tattoo artist, but like for the, for him to have that connection with his culture, uh, and the way that's that they, beautiful. That, yeah, it is, it is, it's really beautiful. That's beautiful. I've always been fascinated by the whole tribe, like every single piece of like tribal artwork. I've always been fascinated about just tattoos as a whole. Cause I'm yeah. working on, I'm working on two sleeves myself. Okay. And well, oh, I got you on camera. So I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got the shark right here. I don't know if you could see entirely. Oh, yeah. oh there so we I go. I got the shark right here. I got the waves right here. Uh huh. Right under the shark. And you know, I'm a hockey fan, big time Islander fan. There you go. Yeah. So that question brings up a whole lot. How are you an Islander fan, but also a Seahawk fan? Long story. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. Long yeah. story. Yeah. Right. And then this one, my mom would always tell me to just live life one piece at a time. Mm. And that's a puzzle. And that's a uh, like an autism awareness ribbon with like puzzle pieces built in there. Uh, and really it's cool, all yeah. those saying one piece at a time. Well, I, I was I was diagnosed at two years old. So and uh, I've always tried to I've had that. I've had that saying in the back of my head, like, oh, just take your time. Yeah. Don't fucking rush. Yeah. Like a good cigar. Take your fucking time with that shit. <laughs> Take your fucking time, bro. That's it. Oh, the O. F- I I just had flashbacks of the O5 Seahawks. My my dad's a Steeler fan. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. So, a house a house divided. Well, well, going back to Gino. My mom is a Jets fan. Okay. And I love Gino Smith coming out of college. I thought he has a weirdly accurate noodle arm. Yeah. Coming out of college at West Virginia. It's actually my comp for Michael Penix. I want that kid so bad. I think I think Michael Penix is Geno Smith if uh he wasn't a knucklehead coming out. Yeah. So okay. Seahawks are picking 16th. Yep. My theory is that there's gonna be only one to no quarterbacks taken in the top five. If Washington decides to either trade for a quarterback, let's say out of theory, Russell Wilson gets released by Denver. He goes to Washington. All of a sudden, no quarterbacks get taken in the top five. I think Caleb Williams drops. Oh, interesting. I think he drops. I think it's a doom part to this past season with USC, all the drama, all just the inconsistencies with him. And I love his game. Dude mm-hmm. can run. Dude can sling it. He has a lot of Colin Kaepernick in him. Mm-hmm. A lot of Kaepernick. But something just tells me he drops. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Something tells me he drops. And if if either Caleb Williams or Michael Penix or Bo Nix are there at 16 for the Seahawks, who do you take? That is so fucking awesome that you do that. <laughs> it's funny. I don't even realize that I'm doing it. It's like no, so it blew my mind. I never thought to do that. I've been smoking it's... cigars for a few years. I've <laughs> never thought to do that. Well, ninety percent of our taste is in our nose, right? And so this way, you just get uh, you get a little bit of fuck. Damn it, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, you get you get a little bit of cigar taste going with the whiskey. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, if Caleb Williams is there at sixteen for some reason, um. Even if he drops on some team's boards, um, you know, I, I, I think he still probably goes pretty high. If Caleb Williams is there at 16, it's it's your you turn off your phone and you sprint to the podium. I mean, I'm like push, <laughs> I'm like pushing the 15th pick announcer like off the stage to get Caleb Williams. Yeah. Between, between Penix and Bo Nix, it's not particularly close for me. I think I think Penix is is a much better um yeah player. 
I, and I, I, I like Knicks. I think, I think Knicks will uh, have a nice career in, in the NFL. I think, I think Penix has a ceiling of being a top eight to 12 quarterback in the NFL um, at some point in his career. And, um, and I'm, I'm pretty high on him. You know, to me, it's still, it's still Caleb Williams one. And then I think we're going to see Jaden Daniels gain a ton of steam through the draft process. We've just, yeah. You look at, at the best quarterbacks in the NFL and it used to be the outlier. The athletic quarterback was the outlier. You mentioned Kaepernick, you know, a lot of people were really slow to admitting that Kaepernick was a good quarterback because of the way that he played. Um, Same thing happened with Lamar Jackson. You always had that with Michael Vick and Randall Cunningham. It's like, okay, yeah, they're great. They're great athletes. What happens if you make them stand in the pocket? Well, now we're seeing these guys be able to do it um, because what would happen is in youth football, your best player is the quarterback, your best athlete, you put them at quarterback, but, you weren't really throwing the ball growing up back in the day. And nope. then by the time you get to college, okay, yeah, all right, you were a quarterback in high school, but you run a 4-4, four, four, we're going to put you at receiver, we're going to put you at running back, we're going to put you at corner. And nowadays it's like, um, well, actually, what if we just kept that person at quarterback <laughs> and developed them as a passer? And, you know, that's how you get the Josh Allens and the Jalen Hurtses and the Lamar Jacksons and Kyler Murrays and these guys who are very, very, very good quarterbacks um on their own just just from the art of of throwing the football but they can really destroy you with their legs and um you know i i think jay i think Jaden daniels five years ago is a day two pick i think he's going to be a top three pick this year top five oh yeah um so for me it's caleb williams one i probably daniels two or drake may and then i think there's a tear break and then of that next tier, which I think is, I think Penix is probably in his own tier. And then after that, you get to um, the Bo Nix, the the JJ McCarthy types. Um, but for me, if, if Penix is there at 16, it's going to be really, really interesting. I think that if he had another game, if he played against Michigan, 90% of the way he played against Texas, I think he's going in the top 10. And it's Oh, just, yes. It's just 10. Um I'm not going to say he got exposed, but he definitely looked human and he hasn't looked human hardly at all this year outside of that no. stretch in the middle of the year when he was sick. And so um, I think there's a chance he falls now to Seattle and they're going to have a really interesting decision because quarterback is not their biggest issue. Hey. Gino Smith, Gino Smith is not the reason that this team did not go further. Yeah. Um, I love Gino, the guy. Gene. Well, I love the guy, but also like just just statistically Geno Smith has been top 12 quarterback the last two years mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. really hard to replace mm-hmm. but if you believe that there is a higher ceiling available to you at that position I think Seattle is a perfect situation for Michael Penix because I right think down the street, I, right I, down the well, street. sure you get that <laughs> for sure you're gonna have buy-in from the fans immediately but on top of that most quarterbacks are going to benefit from not having to start right away but because of the way the new collective bargaining agreement is set up, the biggest market inefficiency in NFL football is a good quarterback on a rookie contract because you're going to have to pay him $50 million if he's the real deal when that rookie contract is up. So it's like, are we going to waste these three or four years of the rookie deal by having him sit? And, you know, the Packers have always done it. And the Packers are the only team that hasn't had to worry about quarterback for 30 years. You know, yep. uh, Brett, Brett Favre was a backup. Aaron Rodgers sat for four years. Imagine using a first round pick nowadays and him not playing for four years. And then they drafted Jordan Love. Jordan Love didn't play for two years, three years. And now he looks like the real deal. Like there's real benefit in being able to sit a quarterback. Yeah, just, it really is. So, it's so hard to do. And, and the way that fanhood is now, especially with, with everyone having a voice on Twitter, it's really difficult to justify keeping a, a promising rookie quarterback on the bench. But man, Penix sits behind Gino for a year because Gino's expensive to cut this year, but not expensive to cut after 2024. So I, I honestly think that'd be a pretty perfect situation. So to answer your question, I'd take Caleb Williams. No question. I'm not even thinking about it at 16, but between Penix and everybody else after those top three guys, it's Penix. Dude can sling it. He throws the best. He throws the best deep ball of any college player that I've ever seen. Which says a lot. Mm-hmm. Which says a lot concerning the prospects that have came out of college mm-hmm. the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Looking at Joe Burrow. Joe, Joe Burrow. Bro- 
Joe Joe a pretty the, arm. Joe Burrow's the only college quarterback. And Herbert. Burrow and Herbert are the only two co- college quarterbacks I've seen in the last, since I considered myself, you know, kind of smart enough to have uh, a real opinion on, on quarterback play. They're the only two that I would put on Penix's level in terms of just throwing the ball 50 yards downfield. Mm-hmm. He throws, he throws the Russell Wilson deep ball. He, I saw the kid in the, I'm a Penn state fan and I saw him in Indiana. I was like, he's weirdly mobile. Yeah. He's yeah. weirdly mobile. Listen, if he didn't blow his ACL twice, he's going in the top 10. No, there's yes. he, he, he comes out a year or two ago and goes in the top 10. Yes. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, he was in a pretty good situation playing for one of the best coaches in the country playing behind an offensive line that won the award for best offensive line unit in college football. He's throwing to three receivers, all of which will play in the NFL. One of which is probably going to be a top 10 pick. So it's like, okay, you, you do that. But I'm also not in the habit of penalizing good players for playing with other good players. All right, three big decisions you would make if you were leading the charge of the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. What are three big decisions you could go roster, coaching, all the above? What would you do? Number one, uh, I'm replacing the defensive coordinator. Um, I'm probably seeing if I can get a line to Mike McDonald in Baltimore and figure out who his favorite assistant coach is uh, and, and – probably talking to him about bringing in uh him as a defensive coordinator that's number one with a bullet that's its own tier after that um i am clearing as much cap space for interior line play as i possibly can on both sides of the ball Mm -hmm. if i can have a top 10 paid offensive line and a top 10 paid defensive line i'm doing that yep um i agree and number three, I, I'm exploring every single option for a contingency plan at quarterback, but I'm not going to force the issue. If I don't love an opportunity, because the free agent class is pretty much Kirk Cousins and no one else, um, and well, and Russell Wilson, but that's not going to happen, nor should it. Um, and I'm probably, I love Kirk Cousins. I'm, I'm like weirdly high on Kirk Cousins as a quarterback, but I'm not bringing him in. I'd just rather have, you know, for the money and for the age. So I'm exploring every opportunity and I, I believe in my soul and have heard it from enough people close enough to the decision makers to believe that it's true that if Anthony Richardson had lasted one more pick, Seattle would have taken him instead of Devin Witherspoon this past year. So I think they're really open to getting that next quarterback. And they've been really open with Gino about the fact that they're going to explore that, that opportunity. So um, that would be number three is I, I would do everything I could to work myself in a position to get one of the top four quarterbacks in the NFL. All right. I would, I agree with you with the, with both sides of the line. Um, mm-hmm. If the chargers cut Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack or both, I would consider one of those two to bolster that defensive line. Cause they're yep. going to cut, they're going to cut, they're going to cut a lot of players. They have to, man. They they're, have to. They're in hell right now. And I would, Call Joey Bosa without even hesitation. Yeah, I like I like Bosa a lot. I, I love, love Bosa. Love Mac. And uh, my my only issue with Bosa is he's played like fifty percent of the games. So yeah, he's yeah years. he's been yeah he's been unhealthy. He's been injured mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree with you with the Mac part. Um, love Quandre. The only way I keep Jamal is I move him to linebacker. Mm-hmm. The only way I keep Jamal. You know, that's a great call. I might move the safeties, making a decision on the safeties uh, up into my top three. That's a great call. They got big, they have the most expensive safety combo in NFL history. Yeah. And they're not playing like it. And Julian Love is a good player. Loved him from the Giants and at Notre Dame. And I like like Julian Love. And you find a way to get Kobe, Devin, and and Reek all on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. Whether it's you put Kobe Bryant at safety, whether you put him at nickel corner and move Devin outside, yeah, you get you finally get all three of them on the field. Yeah, you know, and it's it's tough. Um, it's something that I think Seattle wants to do. I think it's something Pete Carroll specifically wants to do. I think Pete Carroll values the safety position more than any coach, maybe this side mm-hmm. of John Harbaugh. And 
you know, they famously were going to take Derwin James and were stunned when he got taken one pick in front of him. Like it was yeah, all systems go. They were going to take Derwin James. And, and frankly, we're probably not having this conversation about the defense had they done that because you'd have Derwin James on a rookie contract, which means you're freeing up $20 million to spend elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They loved um, who's the Ravens kid. That's so amazing. Out of Notre Kyle Dame. Hamilton, Hamilton. Um, they loved him too. I think they want a safety. I, I I have not yet familiarized myself with the incoming safety class. If there's a great, I don't, I don't know if there's a safety that's potentially there. At 16. I don't know either. They don't have a second round pick. Um, they do have two thirds. So, you know, I, I do think they need to figure out safety in, in a big way. Jarek Reed can hit though. I've seen his yeah. tape in New Mexico state. The kid mm-hmm. can hit, he can mm-hmm. hit mm-hmm. and he, and he can cover too. Yep. I like him. He can cover. He can weirdly cover for a kid his size. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's maybe he's he's something special. Maybe he's a, a diamond in the rough. But usually, guys who are taken on we'll day see. three are taken on day three for a reason. So we'll we'll see. Hell, Cam Chance is a Hall of Famer. He got taken this in what the fifth round, sixth round, fifth round. It's just it's really really tough to count on doing that. Yeah, over and over again. You know, it's it's the gambler's yeah. fallacy is to say, well, it worked one time, so we're going to keep doing it when, when yeah. the odds tell you that it shouldn't it's like it's like winning the lottery and then spending all of your winnings on more lottery tickets i hear you and one more one last thing before we sign off for uh for the night another reason why i would consider a big time coaching cha- a head coaching change is mm-hmm. the skill positions on offense jacks jsn dk Lockett. now you throw jake bobo in there Derek young <laughs> Derek young's a big body guy Mm-hmm. The tight ends with Fant, Parkinson, and I loved Parkinson coming out of college. Uh, Disney oh, as well. I'm a I'm a big Colby guy, and and he and I have actually become friends here over the last year, which has been really cool. We had dude's him on the got show. immaculate hair. He's got immaculate hair. hair. Tell you he what, were, man. He and I he and I got together and uh, and s- smoked cigars at the Vertigo Cigar Lounge down. In nice. And, uh, tell you what, man. You think you've been around big people before? And then you see six, seven, two eighty NFL NFL body. And he came in with his brother Garrett, who yeah. you you could if if you had said, Hey, one of these two guys is an NFL player, I'm not sure. I could have told you which one was really which one was. And uh, just the sweetest guys too, man. But um, he has a he has a lot of Tyler Eifert in him. He does have a lot of Tyler Eifert in him. He really yeah. does. Yeah, I like that call. Uh I think Fant's gone. Um, he's yeah. too good of he's too good of a player to be in Seattle system. He's too good to be one of three featured tight ends, and I think he's going to command some real money. Um, I agree. I think Colby's the guy. Disley's fine, um, but I think Colby's like the him. guy. I think Colby's fans the most dynamic guy. But this, barring a, a massive change at coordinator, it's not an offense that's going to really weaponize the tight end. And honestly, they probably shouldn't for as long as they have these three receivers. So, um, yeah, I think I think fans probably gone. Um, if if there's a tight end that you like, like one of those freaky guys, you know, if you have like a, a Mike Gesicki type or a uh, David Njoku type, a guy that is maybe not going to step in and be Sam Laporta or TJ Hawkinson, but a guy who can develop and and just has Isaiah Likely, Chiga Quanquo, those, those types of tight ends that are just freaky athletes, which Noah Fant is one of those, then I think maybe you do it. I just don't think you can pay Fant this year. Yeah, I agree. With you. And the running backs too. Charbonnet. I love Charbonnet out of college. McIntosh like too. McIntosh mm-hmm. too can run. Kenny can run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I then, like him too. I was sad that we we didn't get a chance to see him this year. Oh, I would have loved to see that kid run. He would have been but nice. Like, Walker's the real deal, man. Oh, he like Ken, yeah. Ken Ken Walker's got a lot of Le'Veon Bell to him. But he's also faster, shockingly faster than him. He's not. He's not the receiver Bell was, um, but he's got the home run speed that that Bell did not have. Yeah, I agree with you, dude. Jackson, I appreciate you coming on for the ride, my man. This was a this was a very fun time. I've had it a was, lot of fun, Daniel. Thank you, dude. I I gotta fucking try that now with the whole <laughs> blowing this, that blow. No, I'm serious. That blew my effing mind. I never thought in a million years to try that. That's funny, yeah. Well, what that's great, hell? man. It's gonna—I'm telling you—it's gonna change your life. The and this is this is the infused whiskey, by the way. Continue. Oh, there you go. There you go. The key is don't blow it in there because it all just blow out. You just got to give it just like 
Just barely let it come out of your mouth, just over the the rim of the glass, and it'll it'll hang there. Huh. Check this. Check this. I hear it. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is is Dan Cruz, Mr. Staniel Smooth himself. I'm coming to you all the way from the beaches of Long Island, New York. A pleasure. Jackson Bevins of Cigar Thoughts Podcast, all the way from Washington. Join the Department of BS, my friend, and thank you for joining me on this delightful journey on BS Sessions Vlog 35. As I said, my name is Daniel Smooth, and I will see you all in this life or the next one. Cheers, guys. Appreciate you.